chapter 4. Today I want to talk to you about cultivating the presence of the Holy Spirit. This picture is a picture I took while I was in Israel. It is the place where Jesus met his disciples and they had breakfast. Now they built that. That's commemorating that place. But this is a place where Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And they encountered, I wanted to use that picture because they encountered the glory of Christ, right? Jesus, after the resurrection, they experienced Jesus here in that area. Okay, so I want to talk to you today about cultivating the presence of the Holy Spirit. Cultivating the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I, I use that word not liberally, I actually mean cultivating. And I want you to think about it with me. Cultivating means, again, you're, we're talking about a farmland. When somebody's cultivating, they're sowing a seed so that that seed would grow. First, they're tilling the ground so that the ground would be good, right? When somebody is cultivating, they're reaping a harvest. They are watering what they plant. So cultivating is an issue, something that you do every season so that you can bear fruit, right? I want to talk to you now about cultivating the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you know that it's your responsibility to cultivate the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Every day to till, right, the ground in your heart, to get your heart ready for Him. Every day to sow seed in your life to welcome more of the Holy Spirit by reading the Word, by prayer, by fellowship. Every day making sure you grab the good fruit that you're getting from the, from the Lord. Every day paying attention to this reality. Number one, asking this question, am I welcoming to the Holy Spirit? Thus, my heart and my mind and my soul have a posture that says yes to Jesus, yes to the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about that today. As we consider that, as we consider that reality, that we are called to cultivate the presence of the Holy Spirit, I want you to now think about Israel and the portion of Scripture that we're about to read. Israel was a people that was very aware of the presence of God. But I want you to know something about the presence of God. I want you to know something. We've talked so much about the Father running towards us. I believe this with all my heart. God is running towards us. The big question is, are we running, are we running toward him? Are we responding appropriately to God? So we have this video that we're going to show. If that video is ready, are you ready with that video? Okay, we're going to show this video really quickly. It's a part of our lecture uh, lesson as we're going through um, the story, and then we'll go right into the sermon. During the time when God sent judges to help Israel, there was a woman named Hannah. Hannah really wanted to have children, but was unable to. One day, she was so sad about this that she burst out crying and praying to God to give her a son. One of the priests of Israel named Eli was nearby and heard her and assumed she was drunk. How long are you going to stay drunk, he said to her. Put down your wine. Hannah explained that she was not drunk, but weeping and praying for God to give her a son. When he heard this, he prayed that she would indeed have a son. Soon after, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. When he was a young boy, she brought him back to Eli, the priest, and the two of them prayed that God would use Samuel. One night, when Samuel was a little older, God spoke to him in his room, 
telling him about things that would happen in Israel in the future called prophecies. This was the beginning of a special relationship between God and Samuel. God would use Samuel to speak to the Israelites over and over as a prophet. But the Israelites weren't satisfied with the prophet. They wanted a king, a military ruler like the other nations around them had. Despite Samuel's warning against it, they demanded God give them a king. Eventually, God told Samuel who to make king. A man named Saul, who was easily a foot taller than any other man, someone the Israelites would trust to lead them. Samuel brought Saul in front of all of Israel. When the Israelites saw him, they shouted, Long live the king! Hearing that Israel had a new king, the Philistines gathered a huge army so large that some of the Israelites ran away in fear. But Samuel gave instructions to Saul that would lead to their victory. He told Saul to wait in a region called Gilgal until he could meet him there. Then they would give a sacrifice to God before the battle with the Philistines. But Saul grew impatient, and before Samuel got there, he offered the sacrifice himself. Saul's actions had terrible consequences. He continued to choose to go against what God commanded and instead build up his own wealth and power leading to the end of his rule in Israel. It was time for another king. So we move from the time of the judges for the judges did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. And we saw the great consequences in the story of the judges and those deadly decisions that they made that drew them apart from the presence of God. After judges, we dove right into the story of Ruth and we saw the exact opposite, a woman who instead of doing what was right in her own eyes, did what was right in the eyes of God and how God blessed her even though she was a Moabite, not even an Israelite. Then we move into the story of Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And there you find this prophet who is instrumental used by God in a mighty way to anoint David, to anoint Saul, the first two kings of Israel. And there you have the story of an incredible man of God and the stories of how the kings became to be in Israel and so forth. And we can focus on those, but before you dive into those, you're going to dive into their stories within your life groups this week that you're going to because he signed up today. So as you, uh, you know, as before, before all that, there's something that I want us to pay attention to is what happened in Israel in regards to the presence of God. What was the spiritual climate in Israel during the time where Samuel came to be? What was the spiritual climate throughout that time? And I want to talk to you about cultivating the presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Israel was aware. Israel was aware of the presence of God. They knew that they needed the presence of God. Someone would say, what are the things that we lead us to know that Israel was in need of the presence of God? Number one, the miracles. Israel experienced the presence of God through the many miracles that God performed. Secondly, you will see that Israel had many defeats and Israel had many victories. And all of them were tied to the way they responded to the presence of the Lord. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. God instructed Moses right, to have the Israelites build an ark that represented his presence. It actually represented the throne of God, meaning that God would reign as king over Israel. Interesting enough, God didn't want Israel to have a king because he wanted to be the king. He wanted his manifest presence to be a king over Israel, which would be totally different from anything else experienced in the world. 
Secondly, uh, another point of, why, of how they experience the presence of God is through Moses. The Bible says the glory of God would fill Moses in such a way that he would cover his face, right? So Israel was aware of their need of the presence of God. I want to ask you a question as the church. Are you aware of the fact that you need the presence of the Holy Spirit? Are you really, truly aware of that reality? In our context, the presence of God cannot be treated as an option or an alternative or an add-on. The presence of God is everything, and without it, we're just making noise. Jesus knew that we needed the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit would be our counselor. Why would he be our counselor? Because we needed breakthrough from strongholds, and only the Holy Spirit can counsel us through those things. He said that the Holy Spirit will be our comfort. Why would we need comfort? Because we will go through some difficult times that only the Holy Spirit can comfort us in. He said that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. And why do we need a teacher? Because we need someone to keep us in the truth in the midst of a culture that's gone disarray. Jesus also said that he would send his Holy Spirit and it would fill us with power from on high. And we need that power for today. Jesus also instructed us that the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. In other words, to let us know the things that we're doing that are wrong. Jesus also told us that the Holy Spirit will convict us of righteousness. In other words, the Holy Spirit will convict us that Jesus is who he says he is. And third, that the Holy Spirit will convict us of judgment. And what does Jesus say? That means that the enemy is defeated, and we will be convinced of that through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus also said the, the Scriptures and Corinthians teach us that the Holy Spirit also gives us gifts. Gifts that we're supposed to do life with, not just church on Sunday. God didn't just give gifts so that we can experience them on Sunday for a couple-hour block. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is so that you can have wisdom in school, discernment with friendships, the miraculous power of God as you pray for your co-workers, faith to move mountains, right, as you pray over your finances and your family and your children. Are you with me? Anybody with me? Let's not waste the gift of God and let's use them every day. Let's call on God, right? To operate in these things. And the Bible teaches us that we are temples, the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is so vital in our lives. Let me just tell you something. If you are a temple, whether you choose to house the Holy Spirit or not, you're going to be filled with something. We are going to be filled with something. So the Holy Spirit is necessary in our lives. It's vital for the life of the church. Can I convince you of this? The last thing we need is an attitude that disregards the Holy Spirit. The worst thing that we could do that that could happen to our lives is the absence of the presence of God. The absence of the presence of God would be a terrible thing for us. Why? Because if God's presence is not there, there will be no wise counsel that we can receive. There will be no comfort in difficult times. There will be no discernment of the truth. There will be no conviction of sin, righteousness, or judgment. There will be no gifts that we we need them direly to do life, and we will be vulnerable to repossession. I said repossession. Because the reality is, you know, when Israel walked away from God, their enemies took over. And when we walk away from the Lord and from his presence, we are vulnerable to repossession. Are you with me? And so it's very important that we recognize how vital the presence of God is. And so as we dive into scripture that we're about to read, we're going to find lessons. Lessons on what not to do if we want to cultivate the presence of God. Lessons of a, a picture of what it looks like and what are the decisions made that lead someone to walk away from the presence of God or, to, or, or actually to keep us at a place where the presence of God is not present. So First Samuel chapter 4, I'm going to read there. 
1 Samuel chapter 4 on down. But I want to remind you before I read that, that James 4 says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I want to remind you, it says, Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and you'll receive. Knock and I'll answer. Seek and you'll find. Right? I want to remind you that the Lord is for you. The Lord is saying, yes, if you seek him, that he makes himself available. I want you to understand that as we dive into the scripture. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 4 paints a picture of the spiritual climate that is occurring in Israel. And it reads this way. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Number one. First thing is, hey, there is this kid. There is this guy named Samuel that God used mightily. He was an amazing prophet. None of his words fell to the ground, which means God used him. Whatever he said, it, it was the way that he said it. Because God was on him. Now, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in, the, in, in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Oh, wait a minute. I want you to notice. They don't say, Why have the Philistines defeated us? Why has the Lord defeated us before the Philistines? It's very important because there's a recognition there. God is not for us right now. Whoa, that's a serious recognition. And listen to what they say. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. I want you to notice. The ark of the covenant represents the glory and the presence and the throne of God. They recognized that God's hand was against them. They recognized it. Whatever it may be, their disobedience, their, their, their pursuit of God or lack thereof, they recognized that God's hand was against them. And yet they think, well, maybe if we just bring the ark of God, then it'll go with us. You know, if we bring the ark of God, then God has no choice but to fight for us instead of against us. Do you remember a scripture where Jesus says, don't tempt the Lord your God? This is applicable. Because to live in sin and not repent of our sins and claim the Lord and ask him to bless us and to go before us to bless our plans when we're walking away from his will, it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from, them, uh, from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who was enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come in the, in the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Now, this is very interesting because Israel would tend to forget what God has done. But here's the Philistines. They still remember what God did in Egypt hundreds of years before, right? They're completely aware of what God did for Israel. And then a Philistine said, take courage and be men of Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews and they have been as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought in Israel, was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. So they went in disobedience, 4,000 of them, and they got whooped. They came back, thought that they could bring the Lord into their mess, and 30,000 of them got whooped. Right? 
And there was a great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, Hophni and Phinehas are the priests of God. They are supposed to intercede for the people of God. They die. And the ark of the covenant that has always represented the presence and the glory of God is no longer with them. I want you to think about this. The ark was with them since the time of Moses. Generation after generation after generation, Israelites do not know how to live without the Ark of the Covenant. With the Ark gone, they know exactly what it means. God has departed from you. And a people who totally depend on the grace and the miracle and the power of God, without the presence of God, is a people who will cease to exist. Are you with me? This is the weight of what they're feeling. Verse 12. A man from Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the men hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the men said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today, and he said, how did it go? Eli asked him, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons are Hophni, uh, also, Hophni and Phinehas are dead, and the ark of God has been, captured, has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel. For the ark of God has been captured. Let's pray. Oh God, we need you. We want to say yes to your presence. And we pray have mercy on us as a nation, as a church, and as a people. We know that without you, God, there is no following you. Without your Holy Spirit, there is no seeking after the things that matter to you. So we welcome you. We want you, God, to see us say yes to your presence in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, teach me, uh, equip me, anoint me to preach this word and hear it. Amen. Amen. I want you to understand all of the players, everything that's going on here in Israel as we read this portion of Scripture. Eli was high priest, and he's responsible for the spiritual climate of Israel. As a priest, he's responsible to intercede for the sins of the nation. He's responsible to make sure that he pleads for God to forgive them. He's also responsible in training leaders and and other priests. And his two sons serve as priests. The Bible tells us that his sons were terrible, Hophni and Phinehas. Very terrible. They would take advantage of the people. They perverted justice. They committed sexual inappropriate acts with people who were supposed to serve the temple. They took advantage of the people. And God rebuked Eli twice for the sins of his sons. Twice God rebuked Eli. And Eli would not do anything more than just lecture them, but never remove them from the priesthood. 
Now, in the midst of that, there's also another player, which is Samuel, which is very interested. Here, the glory of God has departed, but God is so good that he always sends his word uh, so that people will have a chance to repent. And even though Eli was not responding to God and Hophni and Phinehas were not responding to God, Samuel was there to declare the word of God. Interesting enough, there's another Phinehas in the Bible in Exodus chapter 25, a Phinehas who was so consumed with the passion of God that he attacked uh, he, he, the Bible says there were two people committing a lewd act before the presence of God, and he was so consumed with jealousy for God that he speared them too. And God said to them, because you have done such a thing, I will establish my covenant of peace with you, and there will always be a priest from your house, someone that will serve before me. What a, what a Phineas. This Phineas fell far from the tree. This Phineas is the exact opposite, and God actually declares over this Phineas. He says this, thus said the Lord, Scripture says, I once declared that you will, not fail to have a, you will not fail to have someone from your house serving me, but not so anymore. Whoever honors me, I will honor. Whoever despises me, I will despise. And upon this Phineas comes a great judgment over this entire generation. So here you got the players. you got Samuel who's listening to God. Eli who's lost control of the spiritual climate is not holding the house of God in order. Uh, and the priests that are growing up under Eli's direction who are absolutely uh, taking advantage of the people of God. And then you got a nation that is completely unaware of their sins and what's going on and how far they are from God's will and God's presence and God's favor. You have Eli who has absolutely no discernment and sends the ark of God with the people. Then you get to the point where they're dead. And of course, this woman is going to be concerned, this daughter-in-law. Why? Because without, again, we know from the story of Ruth that we just went through, she has nobody to redeem her. And so they try to encourage her. Oh, don't worry. I know that your father-in-law is dead, and I know that your husband's dead, but now you have a son who will take care of you. And she can't think of anything because she knows that she's lost the greatest thing, something that, that is so detrimental to the story of Israel. They've lost the presence of God. And her child becomes the embodiment of the spiritual climate of Israel, Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. What a terrible name. What a terrible reality. But as we see this story, we'll see something else. We'll see the things that drove away the presence of God from the people of God. Number one, a lack of a faith-filled prayer life affected Israel. A lack of a faith-filled prayer life affected Israel. Listen, what does a faith-filled prayer life mean? It's not even words. Prayer is not about words. It is about your heart posture before the Lord. If you pray, you're saying, Lord, I need you. And if your heart's right, it doesn't matter if you say potato or potato. Are you with me? Because God looks at the heart of a man and a woman. So when I say a lack of faith-filled prayer life, is that they didn't have faith in the Lord to posture themselves in the place of submission to him and his will. To speak to him, to depend on him, to give him victory. What happened to Eli here? A man who's supposed to intercede, yet we see no sign of intercession in his life. No prayer life. Some would say, well, where, where do you see that there was no prayer life in Eli, the high priest's life? Number one, number one, apparently Eli stopped hearing from the Lord. How do we know that? God sent two prophets to speak to Eli, and he didn't listen to any of them. Incredible. 
Here's the men of God who's supposed to intercede for the people of God before God, and he can't do that because he's not hearing from the Lord. It's hard to ask God for something when he's speaking to you, asking you to do something, you're not responding. I'm going to leave that alone and walk to the next point. So, number one, he's not hearing from God. Secondly, the Bible teaches us of a woman named Hannah who's interceding before the presence of God at the altar, and she's weeping and mourning. And Eli's first thought is, Woman, why are you drunk? How could it be that a priest who's supposed to live his life interceding for the people of God cannot even have the discernment to recognize when somebody's in intercession? Man's supposed to know intercession. He didn't even have the discernment to recognize what was going on and that that woman was making a covenant with God. And third, and even I think even more grievous, he sensed the ark of God. And I, I would say it is Eli's fault that 30... 34,000 men died. Why is that? Because Eli should have said, you know what? Before you go out to battle, let me stand before porch and altar, as Joel chapter 2 says. Let me intercede for you. Let's repent of our sins and turn back to God before we think he's going to give us new territory. Right? right. right? No. No, instead, take, take this lucky rabbit's foot. Maybe it'll work for you. And notice... And notice the lack of discernment in his life. When the Benjamite comes to him to tell him the news, he's not even concerned for his sons. He's concerned for the Ark of the Covenant because he lacked discernment. He, didn't, he couldn't even recognize what he was doing, whether he was being led by God or not. Lack of a prayer life. Lack of a prayer life will always lead to the absence of the presence of God. And this affected all Israel. Nationally, Israel was lost. Spiritually, the house of God commentary said that things were so bad that it was more common for there to be drunkards and people who had their own businesses in mind than actually the business of God. Because the priest set the wrong climate, right? So the house of God was spiritually lost. And the priest, those who were given a position of leadership, they were also lost. Nationally, Israel was lost. The house of God was lost. The leadership was lost. And it could be set the other way around. It could be said that because the priest was lost and didn't have a connection to God, the house of God followed suit. Because the house of God followed suit, then it set an example for the entire nation of Israel, and Israel was lost. Now, I hope you understand where I'm going with this. I think it's highly inappropriate for us to judge America and where it's going. Because if judgment begins anywhere, the Bible says it begins with the house of God. Are you with me? When somebody says America's going to hell, it's my resp- I'm responsible for where I live. I'm responsible. I can't just disconnect and say, well, pff, that's America. That's not me, Jack. Because God's given me a responsibility to be burdened for my city, for my people, for my congregation. I need to be pleading for revival. Are you with me? It could be said. That because the leadership of the church doesn't have the heart of God. The church doesn't have the heart of God. And therefore, America's lost. Are you willing for that judgment? I'm not willing for that judgment. I think we have a responsibility to come before God. And even more so, we have an encouragement in Scripture to come before God and be thankful for what the Word of God says. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 on down, actually lays out the reality that you and I have. This is what the Scripture says. 
If my people who are called by my name, if my people who are called by my name, not a president, not a candidate, not Congress, not Senate, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Notice it doesn't begin with the land, it begins with the church. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Joel chapter 2 on down speaks of what God calls the priest to do. Stand between porch and altar. Make intercession. Who knows? The Lord may turn and forgive. Right? Eli heard judgments from God. Judgments that were so incredible over his house and his children. Yet he didn't turn to have a posture before God depending on his mercy and his grace. If we're going to experience the glory of God, we're going to take him on his word. And we're going to have the heart posture that says yes to God. Say, Lord, we need you. We desperately, desperately need you. What leads to the absence of the presence of the Holy Spirit? A lack of prayer life. What does that mean? The wrong heart posture before him. Do you want the presence of God in your, whole, in your life? Then all you have to say is, Holy Spirit, I give you permission. And teach me in what areas I'm not giving you permission in. I give you total permission to examine my heart and lead me in your way. I know that the Lord will lead you. And I know that it will also hurt in some places. But I know that you will not be led by your own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, leading you in the freedom that he wants for you. Secondly, what leads to the absence of the presence of God? Not making right what is within our means to do. Choosing to ignore the things we ought to make right. Eli was rebuked again twice rebuked twice about the condition of his sons and instead of removing them from the priesthood he lectured but never disciplined lectured but never disciplined he in a sense accepted their wickedness as normal their, his, and the consequences of the sins were greater than he could imagine because not only did his sons lose their lives, not only did Israel lose the battle, but they lost the presence of God. Eli was responsible for the ark. He was re- responsible to help Israel cultivate the presence of God. And obviously, the moment the Benjamite had given him this news, he realized the ramifications of his sins and his unwillingness to deal with what he needed to make right. Let's stop there for a minute. Do we want to cultivate the presence of God in our lives? Then we got to listen to the Holy Spirit when he tells us to deal with something. Are you with me? It's interesting enough that when Samuel gets a word from God in the Bible, Eli says, what did the Lord say? And this is what Samuel is quiet because he doesn't want to declare judgment because Samuel got a word of judgment for Eli. And he doesn't want to say that to Eli. And Eli looks at Samuel and says, you better tell me. Or whatever the Lord revealed to you, I hope it happens to you. (laughs) So in other words, Eli had an awareness that whatever Samuel received from God was not good for him. You want to know why? Because he was living in sin. And God still convicted him of that reality. And Eli needed to deal with it. And even though God revealed it to him several times, he was unwilling to move forward. You ever been in the church and it seems like you're listening to the same sermon over and over again? Deal with this, deal with this. It's like, ouch, ouch, can you stop pressing there for the love of peace? Right? That's the grace of God. 
That's the grace of Jesus sending you a word from Samuel, a word to redeem you. He says, you know what, son, I love you, daughter, I love you, but there's this deal. I keep telling you about it. I keep talking to you. We got to deal with it. We can't move forward until you deal with it. Now, I love you. I'm going to remain here. I'm going to keep calling you, but you got to deal with that. That's the grace of God. Don't, sh- don't shun the Lord. And this is what God is doing with Eli, just drawing them close. Would you please respond? Would you deal with this over and over again? And Eli does not respond, not respond at all. He does not make right what he knows he needs to make right. Listen, it's impossible. It's impossible to have a healthy relationship with God when you know that there are things that we're, when we know that there are things in our lives that we're doing that's offensive to him. It's impossible. It's as if I expect my wife to make herself vulnerable to me when every day I'm insulting her, demeaning her, and rejecting her. I cannot reject her and expect her to feel comfortable around me. You cannot reject, we cannot reject the voice and the declarations of God and expect God in his presence to feel comfortable around us. Are you with me? Because he loves us, he calls us to make right the things that are in our power to make right by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the last thing, and we'll close with this. Number one, let, let me just remind you, what, what brings an absence of, of the presence of God? A lack of faithful prayer life, a heart towards him. Secondly, uh, um, not making right what we know we ought to make right. And third, having an attitude of indifference before God. Having an attitude of indifference towards God. Now I want to read this scripture as we close. 1 Samuel three fourteen on down. Uh, God spoke to uh, Eli about his iniquity and about his sin through Samuel. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision of Eli, verse 15, 16. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that, the, that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, listen to how Eli. Re- so Samuel says, Judgment is coming to your house. Your children are dying. The presence is departing from you because you're living in this. And listen to how Eli responds. It's the Lord's will. Let him do what he wants. Really? You just heard the Lord say that your children's life is going to be taken? And that's the greatest compassion that you have? It's the Lord's will. Let him do what he wants. You know what drives away the presence of God? indifference when he rebukes us. You, you with me? When God continues to speak to us and speak to us, and we're like, I heard that before. Yeah. We're moved, but not moved enough to change. One preacher said we have a generation of Herod. And who was Herod? The man that imprisoned John the Baptist. The Bible says he loved to hear John the Baptist. He would actually be moved to reverence when John the Baptist preached. But Herod never changed. God forbid we be a church of Herod. We hear the word of God. We love to hear the word of God. We revere the word of God, but not enough to change. But not enough to change. God declares judgment over America. And we see, look, at it's going to pot. Look at your candidates. Look at the issues that you're dealing with. Look at this. And we say, well, whatever. Let's God's will be done. Is it not the same indifference of Eli? And how is it that we don't realize that it is our responsibility to stand in the gap? 
Somebody insults this country. Every time you hear somebody insult this country this week, I want you to add five minutes to your prayer life for this country. I you know how many? You probably won't go to work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We have a responsibility. Is God speaking to us? How are we responding to him? Is there a level of indifference to when he speaks? A level of indifference to the word of God and his rebukes will always bring about the absence of his presence. So God, we will not be indifferent. We will say yes to your word. And we will receive your rebuke and turn to you and plead for mercy that you would restore us. Oh God, Hezekiah pleaded for mercy and you extended his years. Josiah pleaded for mercy and you gave him revival, Lord God. David pleaded for mercy and you gave him Solomon. God, David pleaded for mercy again and you didn't destroy Israel, but instead you, you gave him a promise of a temple where you would dwell, God. Give us a heart that turns back to you, that we would experience your glory. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. Can I get an usher to help me with this pulpit? We're going to do something different today. Help me with this one. I got. Thank you. As I was preparing this word, um, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I just I don't know how to go about this. I know what the Lord's called me to do. I felt as if the Lord was calling me as a pastor to make a declaration before Him in covenant and begin that by repenting for a church leadership that's not seeking Him, and that I mean. I mean me. I'm not saying I'm not seeking him. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I felt the Lord saying, renew your covenant as the church before me. Make a commitment to a prayer life. Make a commitment to seeking me and not your plans, not your purpose. So I would never want you to hear any sermon that I preach to be something that you think that I'm laying it on you when, it, when it's laying heavy on me first. And so today I want you to know that as a church membership, we're hearing this message. As a church leadership, we're hearing this message, and we're saying, God, deal with us. We repent before you. What I want to do is invite my father-in-law, Mr. Dean, if you would come up at this time. I've asked him to do this for us. I want you to pray for me, and I want you to pray for the leadership of this church. If we have any uh, board members here or church leadership all church leadership here, would you come up to the altar right now? Would you come up to the altar right now? All church leadership. You're leading a life group. You're recognized as a leader here. I want you to come up to the altar. All church leadership. That's here right now. Amen. Would you guys come close here? Let's, let's all come together here. Leading a life group, teaching, serving in ministry. What I want to do is take the time to come before God and say, God, we want to be about your purposes and not our purposes. We want to be about your heart and not our heart. We want to have the, the right heart posture before you. And I, I, I want to repent of that, and I'm asking my father-in-law to pray for me, and then I'll pray for the leadership and the reason why. I want to do this, and I, and I call my father-in-law. It's because the beginning of God molding me as a pastor. Uh, my father-in-law was very instrumental in my ministry. He still is and an inspiration to me. 
And he said to me words that I'll always have with me. He said, Carlos, you only have one responsibility. That responsibility is to hear from God and say what he has to say. And uh, he's, he's a great part of why I'm here in Toledo. And I, I just, I just, I just want to come before the Lord and give him permission to examine my heart in any way as your pastor, that I will have the right heart posture before God and his people in this city. Well, Dad, would you pray for me? Father, your word says that your eyes roam to and fro looking for a man whose heart is totally given to you. Father, I would take from that that the, the reason that your eyes are roaming to and fro is because it's a, a precious commodity to find someone like that. And Father, I believe that in Carlos you have found one that your heart desires. Father, I would pray above anything else for Carlos that he would walk before you in fear and trembling. Father, that there would be such a profound presence of your fear that when he is tempted to speak his own word, that when he is tempted to speak with his own emotion, that he would, when he would be tempted to speak for his own prophet, that he would say, like Joseph, how can I commit this thing against my God? Just as you said to Moses, come up to me and be there. You made no promise. You didn't tell him what was going to happen. You just said, wait on me. So, Father, I ask for Carlos that as he separates himself and waits upon you with no expectation that you will reveal yourself to him more fully, Father. That you will speak to him in a way that he's never known before. And Father, if it were possible that when he comes out of that place that his face would shine and that he would speak your word without hesitation, Father, do a mighty thing. Do a mighty thing, Father. Thank you, Lord. And let his one desire be to walk before you in obedience. Yes, God. Yes, God. And we give you thanks, Father, for all you're going to do. Yes. All that you have done. Thank you, Lord. The distance you have brought him. But yet a road, a long road lies before him, Father. Thank you, Father. But you are with him. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.
Amen. Would you stand with us today? Leadership, if you guys can come. Father, I just, would you extend your hand at, as we here, we represent the leadership here of the church. Father, I just bless the leaders of the rock. I thank you for giving them the right heart posture toward you. I thank you, God, for just your presence, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that we would desire true revival, that we would desire your presence, Lord God. I pray for the leadership, that they would have a heart posture towards you, that we would make right the things you call us to make right, that we would be peacemakers. Lord Jesus, peacemakers. Lord God, I pray for your anointing, Father God, in their lives. I thank you for another level of your glory and your presence in their lives, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, for prosperity, for blessing. God, as we walk in obedience before you. And I thank you, God, for making us a holy priesthood that desire to bless you, to intercede between porch and altar, to intercede for our church, to serve this church, to serve, Father God, our community, and to pray for our nation. Give us the right heart before you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we've made a covenant before God, pleading and asking God, give us the right heart posture. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I need to respond to that today. And I want a covenant with God and I want to say, God, give me the right heart posture towards you. If that's you, would you come to the altar and just join us? Would you come to the altar and just join us? Let's all just pray together. You're here and you're saying, Lord, I want to live my life with the right heart posture before you. I want to live my life with the right posture before you. Let this altar be filled. And it's not about uh, any individual praying for you. It's about a declaration we're making before God, a covenant we're making before God. We're saying, God, we will draw near to you because you draw near to us. Hallelujah. You're saying today, I want to have the right heart posture. I want to have the right heart posture. And I know that this is a different kind of altar call, but I felt like the Lord was this week calling us to renew our covenant before him as a church. I believe that God wants to take us to another level. I do believe that. And I'm not even talking about attendance. I'm talking about a greater level of glory and his presence in our lives past the walls, past the walls. Father, right now as we stand before your altar, we raise our hands before you and we say to you, give us the right heart posture. We raise our hands before you and we say, God, have your way. We want to repent, God, of speaking negatively over our nation, over our church, God, and not taking up our anointing and our calling as priests and interceding, God, and setting the spiritual climate for Oregon, for Toledo, God, and surrounding areas for our home and our children, God. Today we say, God, we want to be engaged in setting the right spiritual climate. We don't want to just follow the trends. We don't want to just follow the culture. We want to be thermostats, God. We want to set the right climate for your glory. And as we turn to you, we repent, God. We repent of our indifference. We, we repent of hearing your word and doing nothing with it, Lord God. We repent, Lord God, of anything of Herod that's in our hearts, God. In Jesus' name. And we pray, oh God, oh, give us the right heart posture. Give us the right heart posture. And David prayed it this way. Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
Renew the right spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Oh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So I declare a season, God. A new season. So we begin this covenant walk with you. It's not by our own strength. It's by the strength of the power of your Holy Spirit. So right now I thank you for filling your people with power from on high. If you want that, raise your hands. If you're saying yes to the Holy Spirit, saying fill me with your Holy Spirit. Right now, God, fill them with your Holy Spirit, with your very presence, the power, the gifts, the move of the Holy Spirit in their lives to bring about holiness, to bring about purity, to bring about a powerful witness for your kingdom, to bring about change in Oregon, Toledo, and surrounding areas, God. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your power. Thank you for new beginnings, God. Thank you for another level, God. Thank you for marriages restored, God. Thank you for life being spoken to your church. We declare it, God. We declare it, God. We declare it, God. And so I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you. And your word is this. You reveal your, you reveal your secrets. You reveal your covenants to those who seek you. Those who put their trust in you will never be put to shame. So we receive it today, and we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Would you bless God this morning? Would you bless God? It's a new day. It's a new day. God bless you. God bless you today. Have a good day. Amen, amen. God bless you. Let's go.